You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjax.com. Last week, um, me and Emily weren't here last week. We were, uh, we were visiting um, Christy Wimber and, and the vineyard out there in, um, in Southern California, Yorba Linda. And so we were just out there spending the weekend with their, uh, so they, Christy sends her love to you all. She just loves our church. She loves you guys and um, and everyone there sent their love here. Now, California is quite different. And when I was in uh, California, um, I ended up having a coffee that cost $7, right? So I had this coffee that cost $7. I don't know if it was made from, like, you know, unicorn saliva or something. But it was... It costs $7, right? So 7 bucks is a lot for a cup of coffee. And I did what I almost always do when I have a cup of coffee, and is that I spilt some on my shirt. And, um, and as I spilt some on my shirt, I, I immediately started to get annoyed, and then I realized my shirt only cost $5. And so <laughs> um, it's more like, oh, I've got some shirt on my coffee. <laughs> right? Yeah. And um, this morning we're gonna we're gonna be looking at Ephesians. Um, we're gonna be looking at Ephesians three. And so if you have a Bible uh, or an app or whatever, you want to get it out, and we're gonna read through it. But I'm gonna refer to it um, uh, throughout this this sermon this morning. Sometimes when you prepare a sermon, like you get really excited about something you're gonna say, like you, you've thought something very clever or very funny. Um, and I like to be clever, and I like to be funny, um, and I've got neither of those things today. So. <laughs> But what I do have is, I think, a, a word from the Lord for this moment, which is way better than my clever thoughts and my bad attempts at jokes, right? So, this is what I feel like the Lord's saying to us today, this is from this passage. So we're going to read it, Ephesians 3, uh, verse 14 through to 21. It says this, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or, or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This letter to the Ephesians that Paul is writing, he's writing it to a church, which is it's, it's kind of a healthy church. You know, a lot of the other letters he's writing are to churches that are in crisis or in moments of, you know, they're going the wrong way. But um, this letter, the letter to the Ephesians, isn't that. The letter to the Ephesians is written to a church that has actually established itself, is actually doing quite well, is actually quite healthy. And so uh, when Paul writes this letter, he's really talking about how to become not just a good church, but a great church. How to become not just like, you know, okay, but to really excel and grow and the key word mature in the things of God. 
And so when we come to this passage, this is where it's at. And this part here is like a prayer. He's like, he's teaching in, in Ephesians 2. He's teaching about what it means to be one in Christ, what it means for us as the people of God to be one in Christ. And then in, in Ephesians 4, he talks about unity in the body of Christ. And in the middle, there, there's this other section about the gospel. And he has this prayer. It's like, you know, he's, he's teaching, he's teaching. And he just suddenly becomes overwhelmed with this prayer and his desire and his heart. You know, he, you know hearing the Lord, the Holy Spirit leading this scripture and it just bursts out of him, this prayer for, for the Ephesians church. And, and this prayer for the Ephesians church is the Lord's prayer for our church too. And so uh, this is where we're going to start. So we're going to go through uh, just verse by verse th- this passage this morning. And this is what I think he wants to say. So first, the first verse. For this reason I bow on my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. The context for this verse is the family, the where. So this is the where, this is the context, this is the family. So we've just talked about, he's just talked about being one in Christ. He's going to talk about unity in the body of Christ. So everything he talks about in this passage, in this prayer right now, is in the context of the family of God. So this is the context, the family of God. This is what he's speaking about. This is about what it means to be together. And we are, RCC, we are the family of God. We are more than just friends, Though friendship is important. We are more than just colleagues. We are more than just like people on a mission together. You know, we are more than just people who who share the same ideas. We are more than just people who, you know, like the same style of worship. We are family. Family. Joined together. This is a a, a real important thing for us to, to, to learn, particularly with what we're about to look at in a second and what he then goes on to talk about. And, and this is that your, your spiritual life, your walk with God is personal, but it is not private, okay? Your walk with God, your spiritual life is personal, but it's not private. And I think so often in the church, what we can do is we can make it a personal thing and turn it into a private thing where it becomes, this is about me and God, it's about me and God, it's about me and God. And we're very, you know, we're so kind of like self-focused that that's, it's just so easy for us to do that. But in the Bible, there is no context for spiritual growth outside of the context of other people, of family, of church. There is no context for like connection with God, worship with God, being a child of God outside of a family. And so um, this goes on to talk about the inner being. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But like, there's, there can be a sense where uh, we can have this idea that what we're trying to do is we're trying to sort ourselves out. We're trying to get right ourselves. We're trying to, to kind of get holy ourselves. We're trying to you know, get right with God ourselves. But as Antley's talked about the last few weeks, it doesn't just stop with us, does it? And if, we, and if it does just stop with us, it goes stale, it goes stagnant, it, it kind of loses heart, loses passion, loses fire. It has to come out of us, doesn't it? It has to go out to the people around us. It has to go out into the world. And so Buddhism, Hinduism, things like that, they talk about inner peace, like being at peace, being at centered, you know, karma. Um, and you will hear about like inner peace in like your yoga classes, because I know you do yoga, I, I most of you, or Pilates. Or whatever, or you'll read self-help books about having inner peace, inner confidence, all that stuff, and and all that stuff is good. And and there is a sense where the where the biblical idea of peace does include that rightness, that wholeness, that oneness within you. But it's not just about that. It's about being right, not just with yourself, but with God. It's about being right, not just with yourself, but with others. It's about being right, not just with yourself, but reconciled to the whole world, right? And that's what Annie's been talking about. A little bit in the last few weeks. 
And so family, relationships, community, connection is always the context when we talk about spiritual things, when we talk about what God's doing in your life, when we're talking about how he loves you, when we're talking about your walk with God, it is always in that context, right? It's never not in that context in the Bible. And in this church, it's never not in that context. It's always about how not just you, but beyond you into the family. So the family is the where. The who... And we needed to establish that because this is important. The who is you. Okay, so that's going to sound a little contradictory, but the who is you. So when Paul's talking about here, he's talking about something that's going to happen in you. So this is uh, verse 16 and 17. It says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So the where is the family, but the who is you. He is changing you. He is transforming you. He is strengthening you. God is concerned. You know, we know that God is concerned about the details of our lives. He is interested in our circumstances and our situations, right? God is someone who's very present into our daily realities, yeah? We know that. God is interested in your life, right? He's not just distant, he's interested in, the, in, in your circumstances, he's interested in your situations, he's interested in the details of your life. But he is more concerned with your inner being, your heart, your mind, your soul, than anything outside of you, okay? So anything outside of your circumstances, any, any kind of, anything that's outside of you, anything that's around you, anything that goes on in your life, all the details of your life, he is concerned about those things, but he is most concerned, primarily concerned about you, about who you are and what you are becoming. In our lives, we probably, I, I want to illustrate this, uh, you know, in our lives, we have probably met some people who have had uh, the most privileged um, upbringings, the most privileged opportunities in life, and uh, have had seemingly everything, great family, you know, money, wealth, um, e- every opportunity that you could possibly imagine, and yet still, they can end up being horrible people, right? That can happen. You can have every good circumstance in life and still be a horrible person, correct? The one does not equate to the other. And we also know that you can go through the worst possible pain. You can suffer the most terrible injustices. You can just, ha- just be tortured and oppressed and have just some of the worst things that you can possibly imagine happen to you and yet have an inner life that is rich and wonderful and you can be loving and generous and gracious, right? So the circumstance does not equal the inner life. What God is most concerned about is not changing your circumstance, but forming your inner self. No matter where you find yourself in life, God is mostly concerned with how we are doing, who we are, who we're becoming. Is he working and active in your circumstances? Yes, of course, but his first concern is your inner being. Our circumstances ebb and flow, they come and go, but what goes on inside in the inner being lasts forever, right? So what you become, who you are, lasts forever. And so this is what I want to say about this, is that it is all grace. Okay, so this is what this verse is, is, is telling us. So if you, if you read it here, it says, um, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So there's the inner being in your heart, but look at how it, you know, look what happens. It's him who does it. It's his riches of his glory. He strengthens you with his power and his spirit, and he dwells inside you. All inner growth, all kind of, all, all kind of growth, spiritual growth you have, all kind of uh, integrity that you may have, all kind of character that you may form, all kind of like wonderful spiritual great maturity that develops inside of you is a work of God and is a work of grace. And this is really important for us to understand. It's the power of the Spirit, the spirit and, the, and the indwelling of Christ that changes you, that strengthens you, transforms you. It is not what you do. And it is not how you do it. You can memorize your Bible. You can spend hours soaking. You can, you can fast and you can pray. And those are all wonderful things that you should be doing and we should be doing and they're all worth doing. Yet they and in and of themselves achieve nothing. In and of themselves they achieve nothing. It is only the work of the Spirit in us. That causes us to grow, that causes us to mature, that causes any kind of good to come in, into us. Any kind of love, any kind of character, any kind of integrity, anything that we want in our lives that is worthwhile is formed by his spirit and the indwelling of Christ. And as soon as we think it's us that's causing that change and transformation, as soon as we think it's like the good things we're doing, it's how we're fasting, it's how we're praying, it's all the, all the Bible we're memorizing, you know, as soon as we think it's us that, cause, that is causing that change or transformation, that's when pride enters in. And pride is like a spiritual cancer. And all religious thoughts and judgmental attitudes begin when we forget about grace. All judgmental thoughts, all religious attitudes, every pharisaical nature develops when we forget this thing. That it is the work of God. That it is grace in us. It truly is grace in us. That causes anything good worth happening. Inside. In our inner being. So he is transforming us and he is transforming us together. So the where is the family of God. The who is you. He's transforming your inner being. But how does it happen? How? What's the how? How are we transformed? And the answer is love. Love is how it happens. So this is what it says about love in this verse, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, with each other, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Let's read that again. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Every understanding, this, is, this, is, this blows my mind, every understanding we have of God's love is inadequate. Every understanding we have of God's love is very, very moderate. It's mild. It's modest, Right? Your calculation, your estimation in your heart and in your mind and in your soul and your spirit, the estimation you have of what God's love is like is painfully inaccurate. Okay? It's embarrassingly small. Like what the most you can possibly imagine is embarrassingly small to what it actually is. To what it actually is. Even your wildest imagination of the love of God is hopelessly conservative. Right? 
It's hopelessly conservative. It's so much bigger, so much wilder, so much more powerful than we think or know or can imagine. The observable universe, right, is, uh, is 92 billion light years in diameter. That's quite long. And um, uh, so that's, that's 92 billion uh, light years wide. That's the observable universe. That's as much as we can get right now. And, his, and this universe is made in his hands. It's made in his hands of love. It's his love that created this universe. It's his love that holds this universe. It's his love that preserves this universe. It's this love that keeps it. His hands are wider and bigger than this universe. Every estimation you have of God is inadequate. It's conservative. It's mild. It's tempered. And Paul asks us to do something here that's, that's really difficult. Okay? This, is what he, this is what he asks us to do in this verse. He says, um, May you have strength to comprehend the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Right? So this is what he says. He's asking you to comprehend something that surpasses knowledge. How, how do you do that? How do you comprehend something that surpasses knowledge? You don't. <laughs> You can't. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing. You, you just can't. So what's he trying to... Is he just asking us to do something impossible or something meaningless? No. The opposite of meaningless. This is everything. And I think it means this. I think what he's asking us to do is this. I think it means that you end up endlessly exploring and discovering new elements of his love. That's what it means. You endlessly, eternally are going to be spending... Your time, your energy, your thoughts, your, your being, exploring new and exciting and wonderful parts of his love. And the cool thing about it is, is that it surpasses knowledge. So as soon as you understand it, as soon as you experience it, as soon as you feel it, as soon as you're like, wow, that's blowing my mind, I now see how big God is, there is more. Because it surpasses your knowledge. So you have this knowledge of God, and then he surpasses it. He surpasses it. He surpasses it. It's always bigger. It means for us to be eternally amazed at who he is. It means for us to have endless wonder at God. And you notice it says, with all the saints. You may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is something we get to do together. We have entered into this new world of love and we get to explore it together. We get to travel through it together. We get to find its new places, its exciting places to go. We, we, we get to explore that together as we take care of one another, as we forgive one another, as we share our lives with one another. We get to explore the love of God together. That's what it means. And it's like, when I was a, when I was a kid, I, you know, like, I used to listen to the radio. And, like, you know, for those of you who, who are under 30 years, the radio was like a thing where, like, you would just turn it on and the music would play, but you wouldn't get to choose what, any of that music, right? It was just someone else's, someone else's playlist. That's what it was, right? And then you could listen to someone else's playlist, and that, that's what it was, right? And so um, uh, that's how you discovered new music. When, when I was young, that's how I discovered new music. You'd, you'd, play, you'd you know, just uh, you know, turn on the radio and listen. 
But eventually, when I became a, a, you know, a teenager, me and my friends started getting into music, and we got into it together. And so what would happen when we get in together is that they would give me a mixtape or something that they were into, and that we would, like, we would go to a gig, and we would see a support band that neither of us had ever heard before, but they were amazing, they were awesome, and it was like, here's this thing. And so you, you end up discovering all this stuff, and it's like, wow, I just thought that it was like, you know, Bon Jovi, and that... And nobody told me about David Bowie. You know, like, why would you, why would no one, why don't you just get given that at birth? Like, here's the complete anthology of Bowie's albums. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, why don't you get that? I think that would be great. I think everyone should have that. You know, you know, like, opera always seemed boring to me. And then I heard, I ended up, you know, being dragged along to, um, to, to hear uh, La Bohème, um, a Puccini opera. And, um, and just, the most wonderful experience, just religious experience I'd ever had. You know, it was wonderful. It's amazing. You just discover this music and you do it and you wouldn't always choose it yourself, but other people bring you into the orbit of new and wonderful things. And why don't we have like this perfect understand? Why don't we get given David Bowie's albums from the moment we're born? Okay. I'll tell you why. So we can discover them, Right. So we can discover them. And so this is, the discovery is part of the joy, right? When you find a new album or a new TV show or you read a new book or you find a new author or you meet a new friend and it's like this discovery of, wow, I di- isn't that what life, isn't that, aren't they the best things in life, right? When you discover new, wonderful things you, and it's just this endless discovery and this endless discovery is what we're made for. And our endless discovery, the world we're going to explore is the love of God, right? Isn't that cool? This is what we're going to explore together, and we're doing it together. If we have a mission, it's this, to explore and discover God's love together and invite everyone into it. If we have a mission, that's what it is, to explore the love of God together and to invite everyone else into it. It's the love that surpasses knowledge. So what happens when we are consumed with God's love? So the where is the family of God the who is us in a being. The love is how the change and, and the growth happens. And this is the what happens. What happens is this, is that the fullness of God. That's what happens. So as we explore this world together, this is what happens. You become filled with all the fullness of God, the fullness of God who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or imagine, according to the power of his work within us. That's what happens when we explore this love together, we get filled with the fullness of God. Notice what it says. He's making this really obvious for us. Okay? So this is what happens. He says, you are going to be filled, okay? not just blessed, not just encouraged. You're not going to be improved. You know, God's not interested in improving you. He's interested in filling you. Okay? He's not going to improve you. He's going to fill you. He is filling you. He has filled you. Okay? So it's going to be filled, not improved, not blessed, not encouraged. You know, we get blessed, we get encouraged, we get improved. But no, he's going to fill us full with all, okay? So it says you're going to be filled with all, okay? All, not some, not a measure, not a proportion, not an allowance. He's not going to give you an allowance of himself, right? Here's the allowance, you know, like I'm going to give you this little bit here. and you know, No, you're going to be filled with all, okay? The fullness, right? So it's filled with all the fullness, right? You see? It's like he's not holding anything back from you. He's not holding anything back from you. 
And sometimes we can feel like he is, isn't it? Because we feel that emptiness, don't we? We feel that sense of emptiness and we don't often feel, feel full. But this is what the word of God says. He is holding nothing back from you. He is holding nothing back from you. The fullness of all of God, all love, all peace, all patience, all joy, all goodness, all patience, all goodness, all faithfulness, I said goodness twice, all gentleness, all self-control, filling you, filling your life, filling who you are. This is what happens in the family of God. This is what happens in your inner being. This is what happens through the love of God. You are filled with him. God is not holding anything back from you. This is what he is doing. He is filling you. He is filling your life. He is filling your family. He is filling our city. He is filling our world with himself. That's what he's doing. He is bringing his kingdom, his rule and his reign to bear on all creation. That's what he's doing. This is what we're part of. This is what we get to do. This is what happens when we meet and gather here together. This is what he's doing in us as our church. Isn't it cool? I think it's really cool. He's not holding himself back from us in any way. So, these are important questions. Where is important? Who is important? How is important? And what is really important, right? These are all important questions in life, but they're not the most important question. What's the most important question? Why? Why is he doing it? Why? Paul tells us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him be glory. To him be glory in the church. To him be glory through Christ Jesus in every generation, which means every person forever and ever. Eternal worship, eternal glory. This is why he's doing it. This is why. This is why. This is why we exist. This is why we're here. This is why he made you. This is why you've ended up in this building today. This is why. This is what he's doing in your life. This is why he's going to bring himself glory. And for you to share an experience in that glory. The most important question is always why. Nothing makes sense if you don't know why. Right? Nothing makes sense if you don't know why. Why do we meet? Why do we sing? Why do we have city groups? Why do we have ministries? Why do we do anything that we do? Why is any of this important? Why is anything we do ever important? Why is life important? It's for this reason and this reason alone. The glory of God. The glory of God. Endlessly wondering, magnifying, lifting the glory of God. And what I love about this is it says... To him be glory in the church. I love it. To him be glory in the church. This is what he wants to do. And what that means is not just, um, it doesn't mean just worship, right? I think when it talks about the glory of God, it's not just saying that, um, oh, that means we have to glorify him. That, it does mean that, but that's not just what it means. It also means this, is that his glory will be here. To, to him be glory in the church, which means that we as the church will give him glory and his glory will be here. Right? His glory will be here. That's what he wants to do in our church. That's what he wants to do in us. That's, that's, that's it. That's it. This is what he wants to do. This is the mission. This is why we're here. This is why we exist. The glory of God. Worship. Wonder. Love. 
God is not holding himself back from RCC, right? He is not holding himself back from you, and I think he wants us to experience his fullness today. So why don't we stand?